welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello! Hello! Coming up on today's show, the peculiar pro-choice term that is surfacing out of the anti-vaxxer movement. Plus, the call her daddy furor goes global, and then how Emily Oberg killed her own brand, Sporty and Rich, in a matter of days. But first, Michelle, we wanted to start the show today by acknowledging that it has been a pretty saddening, a pretty sobering week for the black community in the US and in Australia and I imagine so many of our listeners have had a pretty tough week and I just wanted to start by acknowledging that. Yeah, and acknowledging that hurt. I think it has been a really illuminating, eye-opening, horrific week for so many people and we want to extend our heartfelt sympathies to anyone in the black community but also a promise that white people need to not just continue to speak about this, Zara, start and continue speaking about it, but they need to take action too. And before we get into all the sugary stuff of this week's episode, we want to make an announcement that Shameless Media has made donations to two organisations that we trust. That is the Minnesota Freedom Fund and the North Australian Aboriginal Justice Agency. We will be putting the details to both of those charities in our show notes. If you have a few dollars to spare, we know this is a tough time financially, but even just a handful of dollars, we really urge you to take action with us. Yeah, I think as you said, it's it's been so good to see stuff shared on social media, but the next step from that is action. As Mish said, we will pop all the details in the show notes and we know we are just a celebrity and pop culture podcast, but we didn't want to start the show without acknowledging these very, very important facts first. So Mish, beyond what's going on in the world right now, tell me about your week. Workwise, Zara, it was a pretty good week. Like we had some really exciting moments this week. The best part of my week, which I'm sure was the best part of yours, is that our book went on pre-sale it is called The Space Between and thousands of you pre-ordered a copy this week which we are so fucking grateful for like every time we do anything the community that we have here at Shameless gets around us and we are so grateful for you guys like thank you for supporting us those thousands of pre-sales meant the world to us Zara yeah I don't think we can overstate that like it was so kind of you I mean I know we did kind of pushing in everyone's faces for a few <laughs> hours and didn't give many people an option not to see what we were launching. But we are so excited for those who missed it. The space between will be a kind of, oh my gosh, I should have the elevator pitch oh, ready. Oh no! A sell coll- our book, go. you got to sell it well. A collection of essays and ruminations on life in your 20s focusing intently on that concept of limbo and having no fucking idea what's going on. It is not a self-help guide. It is not a how-to. It is hopefully a collection of stories that make you feel a little less alone. Brilliant. I think that's what we wrote. I think that's what we wrote. I mean, it's about 80,000 words. Sure, let's sum it up in a paragraph. And for those who are asking, yes, we are super excited to announce too, there will be an audio book which can be pre-ordered from right now on Audible. Audible, for those who haven't actually signed up, does give you the option of a 30-day free trial. So you can test out Audible there. But we will pop the link to that in our show notes. We'll pop it on Instagram too. So if you're not so much a reader, but more of an audio book kind of gal, go for your life. We also haven't said that we are signing... Not the audiobooks. I don't even know how we would do that. Maybe we should put like a fun message at the beginning of every pre-sold audiobook. Is that possible, <laughs> Penguin? Let us know. But we will be signing every pre-sold copy, every single one. Our hands might hurt a little bit, but that's all testament to you guys and how grateful we are for you. So we will be popping a link in our show notes to go and buy that book. And that will be the last time for a few weeks that we hammer this message home because Zara, we are going on a little bit of a break. We are taking a bit of a mid-year break. We tend to do that every kind of June, July. We're not taking all of June, July. We're just taking the next three weeks to kind of reset. I think for a lot of people, it's been a pretty nuts start to the year and we are very ready to kind of, I mean, just sit at home and 
recharge. There's not a lot else to do. I did forget to tell you, by the way, I copied your weekend away idea. Are you going to Dalesford? Yeah. And I, I, I'm. Oh, it's so <laughs> what dates are you going? I think we might be there the same dates that what? you are. I'm sorry. I didn't want to tell you this because after our Europe trip, where we realized, I mean, the ill-fated Europe trip that will never happen now, of course, which we're all for safety first. Our Europe trips can wait. But as far as Dalesford goes, I kind of asked Zara being like, what are you and Ollie doing over our three-week break? And you're like, we're going to Dalesford for the weekend. And Mitch and I might have copied you. What weekend are you going? Um, It's not this weekend. It's what, next. What date? <laughs> the dates. Wait, let me get this right. That's so, this is so fucked by you. I'm actually going, I am only, I'm going for kind of like a Friday and Saturday. That's me too. Oh, the you, 12th and 13th. Oh wait, no, maybe. Oh yeah, we'll be there at the same time. It's a pretty <laughs> small town too. I'm actually kind of shattered about this. Oh, we're going to have to avoid them at all costs. I No, no, no. Let's put this out, like laying the ground rules now. You and I spend all day, every day together in our typical lives. We do not need to spend that weekend together I love how also. you're trying to be polite to do this for me but you're actually doing it for you so there you go anyone down in Dalesford you'll see both Michelle and I there for a couple of days in June but yes we will be back we'll be back in your ears on the 29th of June I think that is so we will be releasing Don't Stress an episode this coming Thursday with Mitchell Orville as our final episode for the next few weeks so there Mm. will be one more then we'll be back on the 29th Mish before we get into the show have you any recommendations for the listeners yes I do I mean this might be a bit biased but I do really recommend our in conversation slash in isolation episode with Melissa Leong yeah. last week. Uh, we obviously normally don't recommend our own content, <laughs> but <laughs> because it's such a stupid thing to do. It's so fucking arrogant. Of this course. is not an arrogant thing. Do not listen to this episode for Zara and I listen to it for the inimitable Melissa. She is whip smart and clever. And to be honest, a little bit of like the ideal feminist. I feel like she's very intersectional, very intelligent and has so much wisdom to offer and such sage advice for life. So please go listen to Melissa Leong. She's one of my favourite episodes we have ever done on Shameless. Lovely recommendation. What about you? I also have a recommendation. Not as highbrow? Not as highbrow. (laughs) Um, I recommended Barbecue Shapes a couple of weeks ago. Oh God. And now... (laughs) What? I need to get this out right so I don't look like a fucking idiot. I want to recommend Crispix. Crispix. Do you know what Crispix are? Is it like a sad, crispy version of Wheat Fix? No, it is a happy, sugary version that Ew. isn't Weet It is. It's not. It's not Weet Bix. Have you got no idea what Crispix is? Crispix. I'm oh, gonna Google it. Is I think they're plural. Crispix. So, I used to have Crispix when I was a kid. They've got to be like the most unhealthy, like up there with Fruit Loops. Oh yuck! They look gross. No, Sorry. I'm gonna buy them for you. I saw them in a supermarket the other day, and I hadn't seen them in about ten years. And I was like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna buy them." I bought them, and I've just been snacking on them dry while I've been working. I can't do sugary breakfasts. I, they're not as breakfast. It's a little mid morning snack I want someone to come into the Facebook group and deny me I want people to try and fight me on this because Crispix are the most underrated cereal to ever walk the shelves or sit on the shelves of Coles and Woolworths 100% have you never had them no I don't care for them I'm looking I mean no offense to Kellogg's this is very clearly not sponsored now but (laughs) this is so not my kind of thing these make me feel sick the thought of eating sugary apart from Cocoa Pops Cocoa Pops is the one exception of course love you Cocoa Pops Crispix they look kind of gross also the serving suggestion according to the box looks like you're supposed to eat them with milk and raspberries what you Fresh raspberries. Have, I've never seen that in my life. That's on the box, Zara. No, it's not. Raspberries you, in the bowl. What are you talking what about? What Google? That no one has crisp mix with raspberries. So it's a mixture of crispy rice and crunchy corn. I'm sorry. No. Nah. You know what we're going to do? No, that's not right. 
that's not it. Oh, wait, that's an old box. Don't have – it's the yellow box for those who are playing along at home. Mish, Ooh. I will get you to taste test these on Monday. We'll put it on Instagram. We can do a video, but I really don't want to. Savory and don't, breakfast and all the way. don't just play it up for the camera if you don't like it. Be honest. Be an honest reviewer. I have been very honest when I've been wrong in the past. I'm happy to be proven wrong about this, but they look gross. No offence. They're honey. I wonder if Kellogg's, Kellogg's will definitely never sponsor us. <laughs> no, but I could get a single person ambassadorship out of it, so I'm not complaining. Hey, Mish, we should get into the show, though. Where are we starting today? We're starting with someone who would never, ever eat Chris Bix because he is <laughs> health all the way, my friends. It's about Pete Evans, but it's about more than Pete Evans as well, you guys. We want to talk about this uprising of the pro-choice movement on Instagram. And no, we are not talking about the pro-choice reproductive rights movement. We are talking about how the term pro-choice has been co-opted by the anti-vaxxer movement. Yeah, there's something that I've noticed in the last few months when it has come to high-profile people on Instagram talking about what I'm going to call conspiracy theories, whether it's 5G or whether it's anti-vaxxers. I've noticed this tone around their conversations, which is them refusing the tag anti-vax, but pushing the tag pro-choice. And you and I have spoken, Mish, off mic over the last few weeks about how intrigued we are with this tool being used by the anti-vax movement to make it seem like a far more gentle pursuit of truth rather than a blatant rejection of science. It's kind of positioning themselves as anti-vax adjacent, yes. as a more palatable Trojan horsey kind of way to get the same messaging and the same vaccination condemnation across, I believe anyway. And I want to rattle off some of the names that are positioning themselves as pro-choices when it does come to immunizations and vaccinations. Now, I might give some of these names and maybe these people will listen and say, hang on, I'm not anti-vax. However, I've based these names off the people who are actively commenting praise for and liking Pete Evans posts on Instagram, which I would say is a form of support, whether you vocally do it on your own profile or not. I've noticed The Bachelorette's Ellie Ochen has been liking and commenting on Pete Evans' pro-choice vaccination posts, as has actress Isabel Lucas, NRL star Frank Winterstein and his wife Taylor, pro-surfer Kelly Slater, in some instances Michelle Bridges, and on a more global level, when we're looking more like holistically at this movement across the world, Jessica Biel and model Elle McPherson seem to be pro-choices too. Yeah, and I guess to understand the kind of really interesting tactics being used by these people to push their message, I wanted to read a couple of Pete Evans's captions, Mish, because I think this really beautifully captures how dangerous these tactics are, and I will call them tactics, whether they're deliberately doing them or not. Pete Evans wrote on Instagram, I said pro-choice and not anti-anything. Would someone like to share their personal stories below about any injury suffered? Please also share the science or help direct people to the evidence as I am apparently just a chef and don't know how to find this research. This idea that, hey, I'm neither of these, but you guys just share your stories and everyone will come up with their own conclusions is so fucking dangerous because it just allows misinformation to thrive. And I think this is why I'm finding this one of the most horrifying examples of the anti-vaxxer movement on Instagram because it's so much more subtle. Yeah, well, Pete Evans can say I'm not anti-vaccinations, but basically all of his actions online completely contradict that. In the same week that he said I'm not anti-vaccination, he did share a meme, an illustration that referred to those who prefer science and research over what I would call conspiracy content online are part of some religious cults that he refers to as scientism. 
Yeah. Arguing that if you are pro-science and you refuse to listen to those who don't have an adequate degree or adequate education background to speak about vaccinations, you are part of scientism and that's some weird cult where you're not allowed to ask questions. Which I'm so sorry to any scientist who has to put up with this bullshit because I would argue having had a cousin who is a research scientist, a sister who did a science degree and is now studying to become a doctor, scientists are the people in society who ask the most questions. They are trained to ask questions. The sheer suggestion that scientists are not asking questions is completely bullshit. Like that must be so fucking frustrating for them to hear. It's almost laughable to assume that scientists are just kind of like throwing shit at a wall and hoping it sticks. That they're like, that seems about right. I'm going to make sure the entire world follows it. Another one of these captions that has kind of concerned me, Mish, was Pete Evans taking a screenshot of an SMH article which had the headline, Federal Ministers Flooded with Unprecedented Levels of Anti-Vaccination Mail. Pete Evans wrote as a caption, as an aside to that image, this is intriguing. I believe the term is pro-choice or the pursuit of rigorous evidence around the safety of a shot for everybody and for it not being mandatory. I could be wrong though, anyone like to confirm. I hate that little disclaimer, I could be wrong though, because what I think is happening is it's attracting a far wider reach because what they're doing is someone like Pete Evans and as you said, someone like Ziggy Alberts has done it recently too, saying, hey, I'm not anti-vax, I'm just pro-choice and want more transparency is that it could get more people on board because of course people want transparency of course people want the pursuit of truth and like we said at the very start they're co-opting the pro-choice abortion movement and the language you use around it to imply we need more freedom around healthcare. I'm sorry I'm confused by this entire story and if you are someone who is pro-choice and labels yourself that way I probably need to bring my tone down because I don't think it's respectful to be so condemnatory and so aggressive in my approach I do find it incredibly frustrating but I will try and be more chill about how I go about this. I am very confused when people say that or imply that science is covering up things and not allowing conversations to happen or not acknowledging that vaccinations and immunizations are not 100% perfect. From every resource I've read today researching this segment, so many government websites, so many health websites are completely transparent about the fact that vaccinations are not 100% safe. The Victorian government health website actually had a really helpful example. They acknowledged that some people do in fact have a small adverse reaction. This was the example they gave. The vaccine for HIV meningitis causes local swelling, redness or pain at the injection site for about one in 20 people. One in 50 people who get the injection gets a fever. In contrast, about one in 20 patients who contract HIV meningitis die and about one in four survivors are left with permanent brain or nerve damage. What we are weighing up here is not comparable. One in 20 having a small amount of swelling after an injection or a vaccination should not be compared with if meningitis permeates society, one in 20 people die. They are not one and the same. Of course, vaccinations have their downfalls. Of course, they are not made so perfectly. But small reactions like redness and pain that can be treated with paracetamol and painkillers, that shouldn't even be on the radar, to be honest. Like, we know for a fact. Oh, my God, look at my tone already. I'm already getting so swept up in this. I wish you could see her arms right now. They're flying. (laughs) We know for a fact, read the stats. According to UNICEF, almost one third of deaths among children under the age of five worldwide are preventable by vaccines. Vaccines are so important for developing and underprivileged communities around the world for rich, mostly white people to grandstand about how they're not perfect for everybody because they leave a little bit of pain and swelling in one in 20 people is just so 
privileged and ridiculous and detached from the reality. It's the privilege of this that I think that gets me the most. Like, the, as you say, the complete disconnect from reality. Another thing that Pete Evans uploaded was this kind of screenshot of someone else's quote, which said, why does the government think our immune systems can't fight the coronavirus without a vaccine, but 99% of people who come down with it manage to recover without a vaccine? Which, I mean, I'm going to put the, like, a logical nature of that post aside because that's not at all what the vaccine's for. But secondly, he said, someone sent this to me asking the question, I don't have the answer to the billion-dollar question, do you? And this, to me, is just as dangerous as Pete Evans coming out and saying no one should ever be vaccinated ever because what he's doing is he's allowing people to ask questions that shouldn't be asked and allowing people to try and accept that all research is made equal and it's not. They are marketing their movement like I said, as like a really pure pursuit of truth with this aura. It has this aura of like this very innocent kind of goodness around it. Let's gently poke holes, they say. But this is one of the most dangerous evolutions of the anti-vaxxer movement that I've seen. And I think there's something very clever about deliberately deciding not to position yourself as an expert, but as a question asker. It's incredibly clever. And yes, that is so frustrating. Like I am so annoyed that they decided to co-opt this term because I see partially what they're trying to get at. They're trying to get at the idea that no one can control what you put into your body or what happens to your body outside of you. However, we are not talking about unwanted pregnancies. Unwanted pregnancies are not communicable diseases that it can affect everyone around you, innocent people. They only affect the individual woman who is going through that unwanted pregnancy. However, when we're talking about communicable disease, that affects everyone. And I really loved this quote from Paul Offit. He's the director of the Vaccine Education Centre at the Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. And he told Vice, when you're exposed to someone who is unvaccinated, that takes away your personal freedom. You're infringing on other people's choices when you forego vaccination. I think that's the best way to put it. Stop being selfish. This is about so much more than you. And in so many circumstances, it's about people who don't have the privilege and the excess and the wealth that you have. You've called the Shameless Hotline. Please leave your message at the beep. Hi, Zara and Michelle. My name is Taylor. Just thought I'd send you this voicemail to say I have just pre-ordered your book alongside with four other books and have spent $120 on my order but I'm really excited to read them all. I'm feeling pretty grateful today as well because I'm a performer and the theatre industry is obviously really struggling during this time, but the silver lining is I've had some time to spend on writing my own music and I entered a songwriting competition and I somehow won a position to have a songwriting session with the amazing women of Haiku Hands and I had that today and it's just made me feel super confident and I don't know if I didn't have this time in isolation if I would have put myself forward for something like that. So finding the silver linings and feeling super grateful today. Thanks guys. Have an awesome week. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. Every week we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Zara, what a wholesome, wholesome hotline message. It is so lovely to hear that listener was successful in going for that music competition and I just love hearing people's voices on this hotline. If you want to reach out to us, please send us a voicemail message. You can just record it on your phone and send it to hotline at shamelessmediaco.com. It was a very lovely one. It made my day when it first landed in our inbox. But on to the quick and dirty, Mish, my first story for the day. Billie Eilish hits back at body shamers by stripping off and disappearing in a new short film. That is from Business Insider. I found this one really interesting. I think Billie Eilish has been very deliberate and she's admitted that as well in wearing baggy 
clothes her entire career. She yeah. does not want any commentary to revolve around her body and has clearly from a very, very young age, I think she cracked the music industry in her early teens, has known that tabloids will focus intently on musicians' bodies and she has circumvented that by the clothes she wears. I always wonder when it comes to Billie Eilish if someone if someone in her circle told her that or if she was wise enough to know that for herself and both of those things make me sad. Like both of those things make me sad. For those who didn't see this video, some of the lines that really got to me were, would you like me to be smaller, weaker, softer, taller? Would you like me to be quiet? Do my shoulders provoke you? Does my chest, am I in my stomach, my hips, the body I was born with, is it not what you wanted? It reminds me a lot of that video that went viral a couple of months ago, Mish, be a lady. They said just that sentiment of like nothing I do is right for you. Mm, and I think this video is so powerful. I just have a lot of respect for Billie Eilish. I think she's incredibly switched on, incredibly clever. And also a brilliant artist. If you haven't watched this short film, and I say, I mean short when I say it, it's only a couple of minutes long and it's on Instagram. She created this for her recent tour that has been postponed because of coronavirus. And I'm really happy that she chose to share it with the masses, even those outside of her very strong core fan base, because I think it says a lot about body shaming and the attention and scrutiny we put on women's bodies, particularly those like Adele that we touched on a couple of weeks ago, Zara. We don't think it's ever appropriate to focus so intensely on one woman's figure. And I'm glad she put this out into the world. Me too. My second story, Michelle, this is an absolute cracker. Oh my God. Inside Kylie Jenner's web of lies and why she's no longer a billionaire. That is from Forbes, of course. What a story. I'm not kidding. When someone tried to put this in our Facebook group, I thought it was a fake article like it looked fake I don't know why they put the image that they did on it it was like this weird purpley graphic designy thing that looked like a YouTube video the graphics are bad the graphics are bad but the article is oh so good if you miss this Forbes released a scathing like the whole idea of putting web of lies in your headline reveals just how scathing this article is about Kylie Jenner and the fact that according to Forbes she has intentionally or her team has allegedly intentionally misled the publications that they talk to into believing that Kylie Jenner is worth far far more than she actually is. Yeah and the stand first of this story was really biting as well. They wrote earlier this year Kylie Jenner sold half of her cosmetics company in one of the greatest celebrity cash outs of all time but the deal's fine print reveals that she has been inflating the size and success of her business for years. Yeah. So dramatic. It is an incredibly dramatically written story, but I can't, I'm i actually in two separate minds about this story and it's going to be kind of annoying for me to weigh up both of those minds. I want to hear first what you think of it. Well, I'm not surprised, but then every time I say this, I'm like, am I not surprised because like hindsight is twenty twenty. Probably. I remember <laughs> hearing that the company was evaluated at $1 billion and thinking, wow, it must be huge in the US because while you see and hear of Kylie Lip Kits and stuff here, it's not like her business is as booming down under as it has been in the past. Like it's not the trendiest company anymore. My friends, when it first came out, were buying Kylie Lip Kits. I don't know many people who are like return customers to the brand or swear by their product. I don't think it has the kind of youth gravitas that something like Glossier does. And Mm. if you put that comparison together, it does make sense. But I agree with you, it's kind of a hindsight thing probably the allegations are from Forbes that Kylie Jenner or someone in her team may have forged tax returns when Forbes were putting together their billionaire list and that's how she got on the cover of Forbes and I think most people listening to this will remember that very iconic cover of Forbes with Kylie Jenner self-made billionaire and there were so many conversations that came on after that about whether she can actually be regarded as self-made and la 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 but this (laughs) 
very professional and la 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 yeah and then like we we spoke about it I can't be bothered going into the detail of the arguments but this is pretty interesting to me the first line of thought that I have right is I kind of loved the tone I loved Mm -hmm. the tone of the Forbes piece because it was sassy and it was biting and it kind of pulled no punches and I love sassy news pieces like that Forbes got played by the Kardashian Jenners. So mm. they weren't having a bar of it and they kind of went whack right back and said, You can't play with us like this. Am I allowed to read some snippets from you? You sure article? can. Kylie's business is significantly smaller and less profitable than the family has spent years leading the cosmetics industry and media outlets, including Forbes, to believe. Of course, white lies, omissions, and outright fabrications are expected from the family that perfected, then monetized the concept of being famous for being famous. But similar to Donald Trump's decades long obsession with his net worth, the unusual lengths to which the Jenners have been willing to go, including inviting Forbes into their mansions and CPA's offices, and even creating tax returns that were likely forged, reveals just how desperate some of the ultra-rich are to look even richer. Zara, talk to me. Why do you think the Kardashian-Jenners are so intent on inflating their worth to the public? Why was it so important to the Kardashian-Jenner brand to have Kylie Jenner named as the youngest ever self-made billionaire? Because they get to position themselves all as separate business people. Like it's not just a reality television family now. They are all separate, incredibly wealthy, incredibly successful business people. And I think that's a branding exercise in and of itself. I also think they've always pushed the Kylie narrative. Like Kylie is the centre of that family now because they've wanted her to be. Can I disagree with you for a yeah, second? Yeah, of course. I think it's not about separating them at all. I think it's the modern twist making the Kardashians look shiny and new again. I think what Kylie Jenner does for the Kardashian brand a brand that has had flailing ratings for quite a few years now but like I'll just be honest about it aging reality stars which in the world of reality television celebrity and influencers unfortunately for women doesn't bode well I'm not saying that is a good thing at all it's very anti-feminist in fact however Kylie and Kendall Jenner are like the new shiny things that they want to hitch their wagons to to say Kylie Jenner is booming, she's the youngest ever self-made billionaire, makes their brand as a family the most relevant and biggest and successful it's ever been. I don't think we're disagreeing at all because I agree with you. I think there's absolutely a reason why Kylie's been at the forefront of all their publicity for the last couple of years and they've deliberately branded her in the way that they have. There's also a reason that they've deliberately branded Kendall as the quiet model because she can kind of have a second wave soon if they want to kind of keep reinventing themselves. I did want to say though, my other line of thought, which I read a lot over the weekend, is this idea of it's kind of a weird time to go tit for tat about millionaires or billionaires Mm. like whether she has 900 million dollars to her name or a billion in a time like this it feels like kind of a strange combo to have I get it I get it but I think one thing that's important is when Forbes named her a billionaire which was a couple of years ago now they're arguing that she was nowhere near a billionaire totally now she's apparently worth 900 million but when that story came out she was nothing close to a billionaire but it's still semantics for a lot of people where it's just like there are so many zero it's not relevant to me. That's the point that I'm trying to make. I I get that. And I think when you look at the global news cycle, it really does look frivolous and ridiculous and kind of petty. However, Forbes's job is to write about millionaires and billionaires. And I don't think they're going to stop publishing this kind of stuff because stuff is going on in the world. But equally, I think people can turn around and be like, I'm not that interested in this right now because it feels kind of silly. Let me say as well, I care about both kinds of stories. I care about the really important, worthwhile conversations going on in the world right now about racial inequality. And I 
care about sugary, dumb celebrity pop culture news stories, which I think is what Shameless was founded on. You can be lowbrow and highbrow at the same time. Yeah, and people can also reject the idea that they want to be interested in this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Can we finish with the final line yes. that reporters Chloe Silvino and Natalie Robermed finished with in their Forbes article? This is a banger. As usual, we asked the Jenners for input on our numbers, but pressed for answers on the many discrepancies. The typically chatty family did something out of character. They stopped answering our questions. Boom. Story number three, fitness YouTuber Sarah's Day issues a lengthy apology after cultural appropriation backlash. That is from Pedestrian. Mish, this was far and away one of the most popular stories in our Facebook group this week. And to be honest, fair enough, there's been a whole lot going on in the world this week, so much going on in the world. And for a story about cultural appropriation to come out from an influencer who doesn't quite seem to grasp the gravity of what she's done has been pretty hard to watch on. Yeah, and I'm glad you touched on that because I definitely don't think you can remove one thing from the other. I think the commentary in the news cycle right now about the Black Lives Matter movement has absolutely fueled this conversation about cultural appropriation, and rightly so. Uh, you only have to look at the news stories about Christian Cooper, who was a bird watcher this week, who was targeted because of the colour of his skin by a white woman who very readily weaponised his skin colour against him and tried to weaponise her whiteness with a police officer to have him harmed. If you haven't come across that story or that video, please go seek it out. His name is Christian Cooper. He also spoke to the New York Times this week. We also saw another black man killed this week simply because of his skin colour. His name was George Floyd. And of course, the devastatingly sad story about Ahmed Arbery, who was also gunned down because of his skin colour, which we touched on in the podcast just a few weeks ago, Zara. Yeah, exactly. And I guess when a story like the Sarah's Day one hits the news cycle, it is so understandable that it is going to be one that explodes. For those who missed it, Sarah's Day is kind of, I think she calls herself a health influencer, mm. but she does a lots of different kinds of things on her YouTube channel. And she was shooting a campaign, uh, an active wear campaign where she had big braids but they weren't just braids they were kind of like colorful weaved braids and she was using a lot of fake hair to create those braids and when people saw those images people weren't happy they said you're absolutely appropriating another culture for this campaign can you please look up why this is really offensive and change the campaign she did apologize but in the few days after that, she kind of didn't really seem to grasp the gravity of what she had done, and particularly in the wake of how the black community is reeling right now, why her actions are so offensive. She tended to cry a lot all over the next few days, and you can absolutely be upset that you've done the wrong thing, but I think a lot of people were desperately offended that those tears kind of didn't stop and sort of made her look a little bit more like a victim than someone that actively wanted to change. Yeah, I agree. And if you're still confused, that's totally fine. I'm not telling you not to be confused. Neither is Zara. Neither is any person of colour. However, you need to take the onus on yourself if you're a white person to educate yourself. There is so much literature out there about how important hairstyles, particularly braiding, is to people of colour, not even as a fashion accessory, as a hair protection method for people of colour. And it's not appropriate to continually ask people of colour to educate you on this. It's just not okay. It's not their job to educate you when they already are so open and honest and generous with their insights in books and essays. If you are looking for a book or essay that really touches on these kinds of topics like cultural appropriation, like the importance of hairstyles, I really do recommend Kylie Reid's Such a Fun Age, Zara. We touched on this book earlier in the year and I have been interested to see some people read that and have the topics discussed in it kind of go over their heads. I think that's a little bit of Kylie Reid's point in writing about it. That book is littered with instances of casual racism and cultural appropriation. And the opening scene actually 
details an incident that happens in a supermarket. And I don't think it was an accident of Kylie Reid to explicitly detail both women of colour's hairstyles. One of them was wearing long braids, and this is a quote, a dozen of them whitish blonde over her shoulder. And for them to be targeted and noticed because of their skin colour and their hair, it's not an accident to include that. I think you need to do your reading if you don't understand it. And of course, women like Zara and I need to continually educate ourselves and become increasingly vocal about it because white people need to call this out as much as people of colour do. Yeah, and we have learned so much, so much from this community and there were so many brilliant links and resources popped in our Facebook group this week. So what we're going to do is we're going to compile a huge list of them and put them in our show notes because if you don't understand why this has caused such a furor, then maybe it's time to do some reading. Yeah, and it's something that black people are targeted for. These hairstyles are something that they are attacked for every day. For you to employ it as a fashion accessory and not see how that can be hurtful and aggravating is a little bit upsetting. In fact, a lot upsetting, even to us. Story number four, Instagram model slams free work demands during coronavirus. This is from Yahoo and Mish. I gotta say these headlines have done my head in this week. These are of course about Jade Tunchi. Yeah, we did an in conversation episode with Jade actually last year. So she has been on the podcast. It has been really interesting to see this story unravel. What happened if you missed it is Jade put up a series of Instagram stories over the weekend, I believe it was last weekend. And she basically said that she's been disappointed in some of the brands that she's worked with and collaborated with for a long time who are expecting her to either work at dramatically reduced rates or work for free. And what I found interesting is Jade in her original story said, it's more than fair that you are offering reduced rates, but it's also more than fair for me to say no to that work or to refuse to work for free. And I've got to say, I agree with her, Zara. I find it weird that we would ever expect anyone in any line of work to work for free. And it's more than Jade's right to turn around and say, that's not for me. I also kind of think that we want to weigh in so passionately about an issue that we don't really have all the details on. And I actually don't even think it's our business. It was an interesting point that she noted, but I don't think it needed to descend in kind of chaos like it did because we didn't have enough of the story. So many headlines came out after she posted these stories and I found them completely sexist if I'm going to be honest with you Michelle I'm not going to even bother mincing my words so many of the articles put photos of Jade just in her bikinis and called her a bikini model and didn't credit her as much more than that so many of them said she refused to take a pay cut and I think their tone is everything here I think the Daily Mail in particular's tone is everything here because what I think it does is it flattens influences it flattens them completely it doesn't take them seriously it acts like their job is laughable and that they are greedy and selfish and don't want to do anything to help the world and I think that was much of the tone around the news coverage of this story. Story number five, Scott Disick and Sophia Ritchie break up after three years. That is from E! News. Do I care? I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure it out too. Um, Do I care about Scott Disick's relationships? I do. Part of me, a little tiny part of me, wants Scott Disick and And Kourtney Kourtney Kardashian Kardashian to get get back together. together. (laughs) Oh my God. I think there are so many people who would be like, yeah. Like, they're such a troubled couple. And when they were together, it was quite a toxic dynamic basically 99% of the time. Do I want it to come back a little bit maybe? I don't know what I think. I, I think I'm the same as you. But then I thought, you know what? Scott Disick and Sophia lasted three years and that was three years longer than I gave them when they first started dating. <laughs> so maybe they were meant to be too. Anyway, there's not that much I want to say on that story apart from just putting it in there and saying that it happened. My prediction. Get back together. They will get back together Sophia. within the next year. Sophia no, not Scott? Sophia. No. Courtney oh. Kardashian and Scott Disick will get back together. All right, Sophia. I'm going to say Sophia and Scott get back together in the next year. What's the bet? We're not betting people, but I'll buy you dinner if I'm wrong. 
Sure. You have to buy me dinner if you're wrong. No. Hang on, what? <laughs> That's all for the quick and dirty. <laughs> Coming up after the break, how one of the world's most popular podcasts capitulated and what their demise says about the blurred lines between podcasting and influencing. Then, how to murder your Instagram brand in record time. But first, a word from today's sponsor. Over the last two weeks, a bitter fallout between two wildly popular podcasters has spilled out onto the pages of both gossip mags and serious news publications. I laugh, Michelle, because it's meta. (laughs) The two women behind Call Her Daddy, a candid sex podcast that quickly became one of the most popular shows in the US, went from being best friends to enemies who don't even speak anymore almost overnight. At the heart of the spat, hundreds of thousands of dollars, a team of lawyers, a semi-terrible boss, a suit-clad boyfriend and an army of aggrieved, confused listeners – Mish, can you give us the full rundown of exactly what's going on? Because there's been a lot and I, I bet there are listeners thinking, I just haven't had time to catch up. I'm so glad you've asked Sarah McDonald. Right, let me set the scene. We have two key players involved. We have Sophia Franklin, she is 27. We have Alexandra Cooper, 26. They were best friends before the podcast. The podcast itself began in 2018, around the same time, Zara, that Shameless began. I know, by the way, for anyone listening, this is an incredibly meta segment. We're going to get to all of that later in the segment. So, Call Her Daddy is for Barstool Sports. That is the kind of parent company, the network that runs Call Her Daddy and owns all of the IP of it. Barstool Sports is notorious for its frat party lifestyle content. It covers sports and smutty stuff, sex, women, which is why Call Her Daddy was so successful, right? Because the two women at the helm, Sophia and Alexandra, aren't only very candid and open and honest about what they call female locker room talk, they're also incredibly, incredibly attractive, which is why I think they've also got a huge male audience as well as female audience. Men seem to find their show very educational. So their show exploded a few months after it launched with Barstool. Alex Cooper now has 1.2 million followers on Instagram. Sophia has 800,000. Their downloads were through the roof. Listeners assumed everything was going just fine in the Call Her Daddy world until April 8 when they're typically very busy podcast feed completely dried up went silent about a month and one week later their boss at Barstool Dave Portnoy he is the boss from I wouldn't call hell but something close to it what's the thing between heaven and hell purgatory purgatory He released his own episode on the Call Her Daddy feed and revealed that the women had become, in his opinion, unprofessional, disloyal and greedy. That is a direct quote after contract renegotiations. Are we all still with me? Good. Because here's the crux of everything. When the Call Her Daddy podcast began, both women were on $75,000 salaries. About two years in, Sophia Franklin was rejecting Dave Portnoy's offer of $500,000 a year each. The drama didn't stop there. Sophia responded to Dave Portnoy's sledging of calling her greedy by saying that Alex, her co-host and best friend, had betrayed her on the podcast and lied to her many times and that she wouldn't be able to return in the current format. Alex responded to Sophia's response with a YouTube video that now has more than 2 million views. I'm running out of breath. So Zara, did you watch that video? Oh, I watched that video. Of course I watched that video. What, 34 minutes and I watched the video. (sighs) I absolutely loved the top comment on that YouTube video was me, has never heard of Call Her Daddy. Also me, watches a 32 minute, oh, maybe it was 32 (laughs) a 32 minute video about Call Her Daddy. And I think that's so true. I mean, as we said, this is one of the biggest podcasts in the US, but it's also a podcast so many people would not have heard of. And they have absolutely gone global with the fallout of this story. I think there was so much first and foremost 
disconnect for me, Mish, watching that video because what I saw between those two people was they had worked together for two years. They were best friends before that, but they had been keeping secrets from each other from the get-go. For example, one was offered a pay rise for doing more work and she didn't tell the other. And I was just stunned by that. Like I said, this is going to be incredibly meta because I'm looking at you being like, I can't think of a world where you could have a thriving business relationship and have secrets. Mm. And I know they say don't go into business with your best friend, but I guess when it comes to us, we were always work friends, so it's different. Yeah, we were work wives, weren't we? <laughs> we met at work. But I, I, you're right. I watched that video and was absolutely perplexed as to how two best friends and two business partners can keep secrets like money from each other. It just sounds really baffling to me that that kind of distrust and dishonesty, which began in the first few months of their relationship, their working relationship, I think that is the worst foundation to build a business off. Well, I was just about to say, do you think a business is destined to fail when two people join it, when two people start it and one starts lying to the other? Maybe it might start about something small, but if there's not transparency from the get-go, the kind of relationship that grows from there? Oh, the distrust. If I feel found out that you screwed me over in the first three months of doing this podcast I would absolutely be shitty about it right now <laughs> like I cannot like we don't keep any secrets from each Not other which all. our boyfriends find incredibly infuriating <laughs> shout out to Mitch and Ollie you just can't tell one of us something without the other one finding out but if you ever lied to me I'd find that so aggravating now one thing I want to talk to you before we go really deeply into this story is quite a surface level observation which is that it's desperately sad that two women have made a name for themselves in audio which we know is incredibly difficult with the background of conventional radio in particular and their downfall is being pinned on one of their boyfriends. There seems to be this very prominent storyline that Sophia is being twisted and manipulated by her boyfriend who's encouraging her to go and find different deals and that he's kind of wearing the pants in their relationship and she's just a dumb little woman following along with whatever he wants to do. People have coined a name for him. They call him Suitman and there's this whole tribe of people on Twitter who want to cancel Suitman or come after Suitman because apparently he destroyed this woman's podcast. I find that very sexist to imply that a woman who is very successful in the media is beholden to her boyfriend's decisions. What's to say that her boyfriend's not giving her clever advice and she's considered it with her own fucking brain and gone, (laughs) you know what, I agree with that. She's her own person. Or... Shock horror, she comes up with the idea herself and just bounces off him. I think that there is absolutely so much sexism in this story and that's why it's gone global. For one, as you say, assuming that someone has no agency and is the puppet of people who we deem more powerful than her, and that's in inverted commas, is completely sexist. On the other hand, there are insinuations that she is greedy too. And it's very confusing to me because we've got one hand where we're insinuating that she's being controlled and another where we're insinuating that Sophia is being incredibly greedy. And I'm like, which one is it? (laughs) I don't, I really don't want to flatten the story either, but I do wonder if this story has two key elements that mean we will always be drawn to it. Like, I think we will always be drawn to a very public and nasty collapse of a female friendship. And second to that, the insinuation that a female is greedy. I think the reality for me is that we will never know the truth of why that duo collapsed. Like Mm. they can both come out with their stories and say, this is what happened, this is what happened, but we will never know. And greed to me is such a subjective thing, but we will never get over a catfight. 
Yeah. And that's also in inverted comments. I agree with that as well. Sophia has responded to this in kind of a great way. She's changed her Instagram bio to read basic, greedy, lazy, submissive, weak-minded, unable to think for myself. And that's just a little bit about me. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I'm not saying that she's completely innocent in this at all. I don't know enough about the intricacies of their friendship, but to respond in that way, quite tongue in cheek, is pretty powerful in my mind. How would it be holding your tongue through this as well? Watching people go on the record, your old boss releasing episodes into your feed, your ex-best friend releasing YouTube videos and podcasts about it. To hold your tongue would be so hard. But I got to say, sign a book deal now or do something Mm. like that. Come out in a year's time when there's been heaps of space from this and kind of redirect the narrative then. I think that would be the smartest thing to do. When I saw the figure, by the way, of $500,000 each, my eyes watered like I was flabbergasted. But then I did my research. I went and looked on their Instagram profiles where podcasts need to monetize to bring you podcasts for free people do need to monetize instagram content the call her daddy page has 1.4 million followers alexandra cooper has 1.2 and then you've got sophia who has 800,000. like this is a following of 4 million people online it makes sense that they would be worth 500 grand a year are you worried that you haven't done the maths right i'm i mean i'm like (laughs) racking my brain that was like hard to even get the words out i don't even know if it is 4 million but it's between three and four so i'll give it to you thank you so much i found it very interesting because refinery 29 had like this explainer about the fallout and one of their subheadings were so are Sophia Franklin and Alex Cooper famous influencers or just podcasters it was an interesting line of thought because I've often thought as a podcaster that those two things are separate and if someone threw the term influencer at us I would just reject it completely but I think that's just because I'm too close to it and it's impossible for Mm. me to analyze the labels that people might associate with us but I, I looked at Sophia Franklin and Alex Cooper and I'm like why are those two things separate like why are we assuming those two things are mutually exclusive in my mind those things are completely overlapping and to be honest for us probably completely overlapping too it would be remiss of me not to admit that yeah and I'm really happy that we have this story to have this conversation because it's one that I've wanted to have in a long time like I know that there's chatter in our own community that by talking about influencers and launching a podcast about pop culture and talking about Instagram we have unwittingly kind of become something of influences ourselves. And it's an awkward thing to talk about, but I think it's important that we do as well to acknowledge at the very, very least. It's something that you and I were really cautious of even in the first year or so. Like we made the rule, I remember, very, very early on when we realised that we were gaining a community and gaining some kind of influence over that community that we would never do sponsored content on our own Instagram pages. Like that was very deliberate because I am cautious of this and it doesn't make sense. Like I know it doesn't make sense. I could rattle off the names of so many women who I would label as influencers who I think do incredible work, who I think are great people and absolutely lovely right down to the core. And yet when the word is used to describe me, I feel all encompassing discomfort. And again, that says nothing about anyone who uses it for me. It says everything about myself and my own insecurity with the word. I guess if I had to tap it down to something, it would be that my fear is being lumped in with people who do more harm than good online. And I would absolutely hate for people's impression of us to be that we do more harm than good. agree with you it's interesting with someone like Alex Cooper and Sophia Franklin and other podcasters like us the lines are very very blurred Mm. and I think that's why the 
fallout is so huge because these two people are suddenly bigger than the brand they're representing. Mm. They are so much bigger than that brand. And I know we spent last week talking about mainstream news and people suddenly become, the individual suddenly becomes too expensive for the brand because they accidentally become an influencer. Yeah. And as you said, it's not really far removed at all from what we touched on last week with the changing media landscape, that to bring content to people for free, to avoid a subscription model that so many young people don't want to buy into online you have to put out free content that operates under an advertising model like we do and when you have a millennial podcast like the call her daddy girls you know that those millennials will be on instagram like basically every millennial under the sun and therefore advertising revenue folds into your business model and can you advertise on instagram without becoming an instagram influencer maybe not it's a very interesting time that we're in but it kind of folds in media and journalism and content creation into Instagram influencing and it all sits under the one umbrella now. I did read this article last year and I remember sending it to you and we had a long conversation about it and it was in The Guardian by a writer called Allegra Hobbs and the title was The Journalist as Influencer, How We Sell Ourselves on Social Media. And Allegra Hobbs basically argued at the time that writers and journalists and authors like Tavi Jevonson, Gia Tolentino, people like Taffy Bredessa Ackner are kind of accidentally becoming influencers themselves. And I think for me, and I've definitely fallen into this trap and will continuously fall into this trap about the term influencer, we can kind of extend the term to so many people now because so many jobs have kind of applied an influencer framework to them. And what Mm. I mean by that is if you look at someone like Gia Tolentino, who is one of the most popular authors and writers of our generation, she kind of has got this influencer kind of profile without actually selling content because she's got this Instagram presence and this Twitter presence and this millennial presence. And I wanted to read you a quote from this article, if you would allow me. Yes, of course. It's a little bit long, but I thought it was very interesting. Those who insist that the job of the writer is simply only to write are deluding themselves. Editors whose advice is to get off Twitter, put your head down and do the work are missing something fundamental and indispensable about digital media. It's at all the things that invite derision for influencers, self-promotion, fishing for likes, posting about the minutia of your life for relatability points are also integral to the career of a writer online. And also you can sub out writer for podcaster here. At least if you want to be visited by that holy trinity when it comes time for your book launch, you must be an influencer in all the ways that matter. Mm. Now, Obviously, this is the most meta segment ever. And I think there's been a lot of self-analysis from us as two people who are also launching a book too, Mm. about how maybe you can't possibly reject all this stuff completely. Like you can't be on your high horse and reject the fact that you are the thing that you're talking about. Yeah, we probably fit into that. And I want our audience to know we take that so seriously. Like I am sometimes terrified by us galvanizing an audience and sending them after the wrong person or the wrong cause. Like we take our influence over people incredibly, incredibly serious. I get I get worried about it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course it's a bit worrying. And also I guess maybe we might be a bit more cautious about things because of that. And maybe we might not make the right calls about things because we don't want to send an audience after a certain group of people or a certain person. But it is, you're right. Like, I think I'm not going to begrudge someone for saying that. Like, I I think it would be, like I said, remiss of us not to acknowledge it. But it's just a weird one. I feel weird talking about it even. Yeah, I feel incredibly uncomfortable right now. I mean, the crux of all of this is if you do have influence, you need to take it seriously and you need to be careful with how you use that influence and hopefully use that influence for good more than any level of harm. Three, two, one, die! 
If you've never heard of Emily Oberg or her brand, Sporty and Rich, don't stress because neither had I until about a week ago. You see, up until about a week ago, Sporty and Rich was the brand of the moment, or so Zara tells me. They are an athleisure label that trade on a very 80s and 90s kind of aesthetic. Think of that photo in your head of Princess Diana in her oversized sweater and bright bike shorts. That is the look we are going for with Sporty and Rich. They operated on pre-orders, so there wasn't any leftover waste, and 1% of their sales went towards protecting the planet. Sounds pretty good, right? It was up until last week when the founder, Emily Oberg, torched the brand thanks to a string of controversies, making us question what makes a successful brand and founder in 2020. Zara, please help me out with this a little bit. Can you please give the listeners and me some more detail on what Sporty and Rich is and how Emily Oberg found herself in the headlines? I sure can. If you want a bit more detail on like why Sporty and Rich was the brand of the moment, there was this really interesting kind of description in JQ that I thought was kind of funny but kind of bang on. JQ wrote, Sporty and Rich is chic, exclusive, desirable. Like playing tennis on a clay court in St. Bart's with Carly Kloss while wearing a pristine pair of Persia but with no socks. No? Well, look... <laughs> Remem- Why no socks? Wait, I'm confused. Is that out of trend now? I, I don't know. Fuck, look, I'm so behind. Look, remember when that really cool nonchalant girl in your French class used to go around wearing her mother's old violet beret, humming Boris Vian songs and thumbing through an old copy of Louis in an intimidating sort of way? Well, Sporty and Rich is a bit like that. Cool to the point of being clicky and about as desirable as a jumper from the row, just minus the paycheck shredding price tag. Sarah, I didn't understand any. That is like an, what, what's the row? The, oh, <laughs> you need to talk to me in layman, not cool fashion sense. What is the row? The row is Mary-Kate and Ashley's thing. Oh I say Mary-Kate and Ashley's thing. That like is about as layman. It's like the world's most expensive store. <sighs> Well, not the most expensive, but it's expensive and cool. How about you just get that? It's kind of vintage, kind of expensive, What's kind Boris of cool. What's Boris Vian? Okay, I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I just read it out and hoped you'd forget. I wanted to give you a bit of detail, though. Given we're talking about how, quote unquote, cool and clicky this brand was, where everything went wrong. Because quite a few things have happened in the last week and it's kind of existed on Reddit threads and Instagram accounts. Hasn't really hit the mainstream media at the time of recording and it's kind of simmered in different corners of the internet. So I think a couple of things went wrong at a similar time for Emily Oberg as things kind of, when it rains, it pours, as Mm. they say. On Sporting Rich's Instagram about a week or two ago, Emily Oberg posted a photo of a graph which compared the price of fast food to healthy food. And on that, it said you don't need to be rich to be healthy and compared a $2 bag of lettuce with a $3.50 Happy Meal, obviously insinuating that people who are unhealthy are just being lazy. You could easily just swap out your lunch of a Happy Meal for a bag of lettuce. I'm sorry, but if I have to survive on anything, you couldn't even survive on a bag of lettuce for lunch. Who the fuck is eating lettuce for lunch? Mate, I'm picking a Happy Meal every day. Give me the Happy Meal every day of the week. So obviously there was a huge amount of backlash because there was so much privilege in that post and you're posting it not on your personal account, but your business's account. Mm. And so everyone's like, this is an incredibly close-minded thing to think and a close-minded thing to publicly perpetuate. Then people started getting annoyed that their orders from last month were late and everything just exploded. Among the many things that have surfaced since the controversy started, there's this Instagram account that's kind of been at the crux of it called Not Sporty and Rich. I'm not sure if you're following it yet, Mish, which has documented so much of the fallout. It's included screenshots of Sporty and Rich communicating with disgruntled customers. And in those DMs with customers, customers have screenshotted their communications with Sporty and Rich where Sporty and Rich has called them fucking insane for asking where their orders are and just being very sassy and very rude like horrendous customer service can I ask you a question before you go further Mm. did they put 
the label sporty and rich on their jumpers and would people actually wear that around? Because I would think yes. you are such a wanker if you're wearing a jumper that says sporty and rich yes. out in public, particularly in the middle of a global pandemic. Well, that's a point that a lot of people have made and we'll get to that soon oh too. My God. They've also detailed this Instagram account, Not Sporty and Rich, how many of Emily Oberg's designs are copies. It's also, I think most importantly, pointed to an old interview that Oberg did with another Barstool podcast called Failing Upwards, where she spoke, Mish, about being an anti-vaxxer she was fat phobic. She was racist. She joked that detractors on Twitter should kill themselves. She denigrated influencers who are so much of her target market. She called her followers crazy for holding her to account after she did a sponsored post for Evian and does so much work with the environment. People are like, what's the deal with single-use plastic? She also joked that she is obviously on six figures, but then when you earn as much as she does, it's all just taken by tax. She said she's <laughs> earned... What? I know. She said she earned 12K from a makeup-sponsored post when she doesn't even wear makeup. So this is why there's been so much controversy because so many different things have happened. And you know what? I've probably forgotten a few because there's so much that's been going on. Also, to break the fourth wall, what a weird thread running through this episode. We've got anti-vaxxers in the first segment and now. We also had a basketball podcast now and in the last segment. What is going on? <laughs> We're just calling this anti-vaxxers and barstools. <laughs> But I think you're right when you said, Mish, are people really walking around wearing sporty and rich on their jumpers? And they are. People have pointed out on Twitter, on Instagram and in our Facebook group, jokingly but not really, that it's kind of unsurprising that a brand called Sporty and Rich is suddenly problematic. People are often finding the term sporty code for skinny because so much of her Instagram aesthetic is just thinness. Well, that's where the fat phobic nature of so much of the content and the clothing comes to life and where I'm so baffled. I I really am baffled as to how clothing brands get by being fat phobic and not tailoring their brands to all kinds of bodies and all kinds of women. It, at the very crux of it, seems like such bad business. I don't understand why Emily Oberg felt the need to lecture her following on eating more lettuce instead of Happy Meals. Like it's just such an unusual approach to business that feels like you may as well just light the whole thing on fire. Well, I think if you're surprised by that, then you'll be surprised by everything else that she's done because so much of it is closed-minded and sort of so so stuck in her own scenario and set of circumstances. One of the most popular pieces of clothing that's come out of the brand in the last month or two, and you might have seen it on Instagram or I not- can almost guarantee I haven't. No, so now that you have heard it, you'll probably see it. Although now people won't wear the jumpers. I'm going around in circles. <laughs> anyway, it was this big wellness, right? Wellness mm. word in kind of like a half circle I don't know what you call it. I'm giving you the action. Like a sunrise? Like yeah. a sun coming above a horizon? Totally. So wellness was, was, wellness was brandished across the jumper. And when I heard that Emily Oberg was an anti-vaxxer, I could not get out of my head the unflinching hypocrisy and irony of trying to make money off the health and wellness industry and be an anti-vaxxer at the same time by pushing this wellness narrative through your brand. Mm, Isn't it predictable though? Isn't that what Pete Evans and stuff do as well? They kind of conflate the idea of like natural medicine and alternative therapies with wellness. Well, I think it's not just this hypocrisy that surprised me, but it's other hypocrisy too. And I think that's what's annoyed most people. The idea that in that interview we spoke about, which has been pulled from every single podcasting platform apart from one. So you've really got to be a sleuth to find the interview. She does joke about how she'll always split her time between Paris in LA even though flying is bad for the environment and even though the environment is one of the causes she's kind of publicly putting herself next to 
Also, the Evian post, she laughed and called people crazy for pulling her out on that, for advertising single-use plastic. I think hypocrisy, I think we live in an age where if there's one thing we can't stand amongst actually many others, it's hypocrisy. I find it interesting as well that with Instagram, brands and having a personality kind of feel like one and the same, that we expect brands to have positions on things, we expect them to have very unique individual tones and brands kind of are influencers yes. now. Like some brands have hundreds of thousands of followers like Sporty and Rich did, like Emily Oberg does as well. And we put expectations onto brands like we would influential people, that we want them to make a stand for things. And when they're contradictory about taking those stands or their actions don't match up with their words, we come down on them and we cancel them. And Sporty and Rich has been cancelled, which I mean, I'm nowhere near as offended by us cancelling brands as I am people, but... Sounds like Emily Oberg has done a lot to be cancelled anyway. Well, I've got to say I agree. And also, I have actually never seen an Instagram brand crash like it. We've seen people cancelled, as you say, but I can't remember seeing an Instagram brand cancelled so completely. Like, it is wild to me. It is wild and almost laughable to me that influencers who have warned the brand before have had to come out publicly and distance themselves from their own fucking sweater. (laughs) They've had to say, I'll not wear it again or I'll cross out the logo or I'll never buy from them again. I saw Brooke Hogan do that, actually. Brooke Hogan took a selfie in a jumper and blurred out the Sporty and Rich logo on it and said, I'm not about it anymore. And Rosalia Russian, another fashion influencer, has had to come out and say, yes, I've worn that brand a lot. I had no idea what was going on I won't purchase from them ever again I've never seen this with a brand Mish I've never seen it with a clothing brand I can't I mean I'd love people to come into our Facebook group and tell us if you can remember other instances of this happening but for people to have to come and distance themselves from their own sweater is pretty interesting one final thought are you and I being incredibly naive to think this is the end of her brand because as we already know there is an incredibly galvanized incredibly passionate highly engaged community out there who are anti-vax who are this alternative medicine fat phobic white privileged community that will buy and buy big like they're out there buying apparently coronavirus healing machines that are complete bogus there could be a community that still means that sporty and rich is successful it's just successful in a space that you and I never hear of anymore well I guess it might be successful in a very niche kind of white privileged skinny girl self-care wellnessy space which we know does thrive on the internet but I still am not sure they can come back from this unless they change their kind of branding completely because it's distinctly uncool to be seen in one of these products right now. Like mm. it is distinctly uncool to be caught not having an idea of what's been going on. And I wanted to finish, Mish, with a quote of Emily Oberg's because I thought it was quite uh, ironic reading this quote given what you just spoke about, about how brands have to stand for something now and we expect so much of them. She said in a quote that was published about a week ago, brands are not looking as much at the follower count as the quality of followers, the quality of the photos, who you are, what you stand for, what you believe in, your messaging. They're kind of veering away from here's a million followers and more towards who is she. So that's good because I do feel like there needs to be a lot more people out there who are standing for something and having a voice, especially in a time that we're living in and what's going on, how can you not? Only what she was standing for wasn't anti-vaccine. <laughs> I know. Hey, I think that's all we've had time for today. Thank you so much, guys. As we said at the top of the episode, we are going on a three-week break from this Thursday. You will, of course, get your In Isolation episode. But from then, we'll be taking a little bit of a podcasting break. If you want to keep up to date with us, though, we will still be, of course, on Instagram. We are at Shameless Podcast on Instagram. We will still be in our book club. That is Shameless Podcast Book Club on Facebook. We will see you there. Zara, is there anything else to add? Oh, no, I actually started checking our emails. I zoomed in about (laughs) a minute and a half ago. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll be back in your ears on Thursday. Bye.
Oh, hi. It's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.